Hello, welcome back to my second episode of Do You Want to Talk About Medicine? Today we have my first guest, um, my friend Amelia, and we're going to dive into the realm of like neurodiverse community as well as people with disabilities and talk about our accommodations in vet med, our lack thereof, and how we can address those. So um, on that note, I also wanted to apologize because on my first episode when I was talking about all the different like examples of marginalized people, I left this group out. And I know it's impossible to list everyone. However, this group is so, so often left out of the conversation. And we aren't even meeting the bare minimum in veterinary medicine for these people right now. So off to Amelia. Um, would you like to just start with a little background info and the basics to deaf and hard of hearing accommodations within veterinary medicine? Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you for inviting me, Holly. So uh, I am what you call within the deaf community a CODA, which stands for Child of Deaf Adults. So I grew up around um, all like the deaf community, friends, family, and I do have a lot of experience um, with accommodations and lack of accommodations throughout any type of business or um, clinic. So thank you again, Holly, for starting this conversation, because it is not something that is ever or often talked about. It's like opening a whole Mm -hmm. can of worms. So I really appreciate that. And I did want to make a point that, yes, I am a part of the deaf community, but I am not deaf or hard of hearing myself so I can't necessarily speak for them but I can um, talk about it and I do have a lot of knowledge about it so thank you yeah thank you for being our first official guest Woohoo! very exciting <laughs> okay so uh, also fun fact Amelia's family also used to have a deaf dog named Bullseye he was a Dalmatian yeah. very cute and I learned a lot um and so yeah. I guess <laughs> the beginning... you even used to uh dog sit him which is yep. awesome I know the sign for ice sit uh bathroom and Food, probably. Yeah. yeah probably yeah. and he, he, he works a lot yeah he works a lot through like vibrations in the floor I remember we would be in your room and we'd like stomp and he would come running and I'm like that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> yes oh I miss him um, yeah I know uh okay so I guess to begin with with that obviously you've been to a veterinarian and what accommodations vet clinics have given to your family or haven't and what they're legally bound to do right so um usually if we go to a veterinary clinic uh most of them are more than willing to you know, grab a piece of paper and a pen and communicate that way. Usually the client or patient, the owner, I guess, would have to maybe ask them to speak up, slow down, you know, look at them when they're talking. And even sometimes it's hard when the provider doesn't really have experience with that. But I don't think we've ever had an issue where someone was not willing to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. But the difference with if you were to go to a family doctor or any sort of human health service is that those places are legally required to provide some sort of accommodation. 
um, interpreting services if the person does sign. Um, but with veterinary or small businesses or anything like that, there is no legal requirement. And I think there's just a lot of misconceptions and um, things that people wouldn't know when operating their small business that they could do for the deaf person. Um, so the first thing I would say is when the provider meets a new patient and they are deaf is that they all don't require the same types of accommodations not all deaf people sign so it's important not to like assume that right and it's kind of a spectrum you know like my mom she has hearing aids and she can enunciate really clearly so she might not need as extensive accommodations not always but then there's also my dad who does not have hearing aids um does not sound like us when he speaks so that would probably require a little bit of time and it's also important for the provider to consider you know adding an extra 15 to 30 minutes to the appointment just so they can communicate clearly um So along with accommodations other than like a pen or a paper, um, any business or vet clinic could use a video or remote interpreting service. So that could be like, you know, a screen with a program that would connect the office to a video relay site and interpreter who could communicate everything that the vet is saying to the deaf person and then the deaf person could either sign or speak to the interpreter and go back and forth from there Mm -hmm. so Uh, basically to get an image in people's mind it's like the veterinarian is facing well they don't have to because they're speaking but they're speaking to the ipad or device and then the person on the other end is the interpreter and they're signing through the screen then to the hard of hearing or deaf person so they can see that visually. Exactly. Right. Um, And one problem with the interpreters when you're talking about medical versus like veterinary services, right, is that almost all the time, if you go to a doctor's clinic, um, the interpreter that they will provide will have some sort of medical training and background and certification and that is because so they can clearly communicate um, the issues the um, medicines the diseases to the client because what another misconception is that a lot of people think that English to American Sign Language or ASL is just like clear cut like Mm -hmm. they think there's like the same like verb usage and that which it isn't right right that they could easily be translated to each other but they're not they're not the same language at all ASL has a different grammar syntax and uses different words and a lot of like the terminology that you would use in a vet or medical clinic is not going to have a sign right Mm -hmm. like you have all of these complicated words um, and terms and they just don't have a sign and you know to ask 
an interpreter who interprets for a school to do that just wouldn't work, right? Like you mm-hmm. wouldn't ask a construction worker to give you an eye exam. <laughs> um, and the same not just goes for the medical field interpreters, but also if you for court operations or mm-hmm. legal services as well. Um, so you, it would be really hard to get that sort of service at a vet clinic. Um, so there's a barrier, right? Like a huge conversation and understanding barrier. Um, mm-hmm. And like and we, like we said, in, in human med, that is a legal obligation, right? Versus in vet med, there is none. So it's kind of just like up to the clinic if right. they want to do that or not. Exactly. Um, but there are some um, incentives and whatnot when it comes to providing these accommodations. So the biggest question is like, okay, who's going to pay right. for this interpreting service, right? Especially, um, like, as, especially in vet med, we already have a money problem. So I think that even though it's, it's sad that it's true, that is one of the first things that come across their mind, especially when obviously the majority of the clients are not hard of hearing or deaf. Yeah. And um, with the medical field and with the ADA law, like the deaf person does not pay anything. Right. And it would be odd for that to, to be asked of a deaf person, not that like Mm -hmm. it wouldn't happen, but you know, that might be a scary thought for the vet clinic. However, there are usually um, tax breaks. So you can actually file a tax break if you have any um, costs associated with any um, disability accommodations that you pay for. You can get a tax break in, in return. You know, the federal and maybe even the state has a fund allocated to those sorts of services. So mm-hmm. that. yeah. Yeah, and I remember we talked um, a while ago about, like, how detrimental that lack of communication can be, because even in situations surrounding euthanasia, you're still not required any kind of interpreter, and so those situations can be real muff- really muffled, and even, like, horrific consequences of, like, euthanasia when the owner didn't even know it was happening, or especially in, like, emergency situations, even with, with COVID, it's, like, 10 times elevated, so especially with curbside service and ER, you like go to the ER, a lot of times you call in to like triage and what's happening. And so what what's even happening for the deaf community and hard of hearing? I don't, they probably have to like awkwardly try to walk to the front and someone tries to confront them. And then, you know what I mean? Because there's no relay service to like preemptively get through that. Right. How are you supposed to provide a VRI service if you're doing curbside Exactly. Right. And there can be a lot of um, misunderstandings when it comes to like, you know, let's say that there is any sort of issue, whether it's like an emergency issue or not. And the client or the owner is given an option, like a variety of options. It's going to be really hard for them to determine what is the most financially and ethical decision for their pet when those issues and the pros and cons of those um, options can't be efficiently translated over and communicated. So um, it's sad. And I think another problem, you know, mentioning euthanasia is that 
veterinarians are also there to consult their patients right when Mm -hmm. it comes to these like difficult um problems whether it's major surgery or euthanasia and when you have that communication barrier you kind of lose that human to human connection Uh, right and so it's important for that provider to like really consider how they're gonna make that time to console them and um you know make the family feel better and accommodated so yeah and there are situations where it's just kind of sad when you think about they're not gonna have somebody really to talk to the same way if there's no like BRI available right and I went to a lecture about um this veterinary student who is in the deaf community or hard of hearing and she was a first year student and she was discussing that like in those situations anything helps like you're not gonna look stupid trying to mouth something right is that correct or like express some kind of emotion obviously not to an exaggerated sense but like to work with what you have and not just kind of lose communication well any type of effort is so deeply appreciated um did you mean like when you're actually communicating with them like trying harder to mouth the words or yeah like in person because you said like one of the issues will be like one of the negative aspects would be people try to yell of people who are completely deaf and they're like what is hello (laughs) like what's happening but then you said one of the beneficial things was like if you know just letters like that could help so much or like being able to see the emotion in the provider's face helps communicate that without needing like word to word right well yeah because at least within ASO like more than half of the communication is within facial expression right um every deaf it's so hard for me to answer this question because every deaf person is different Mm -hmm. um usually speaking louder can only help to some degree depending (laughs) on their deafness and um sometimes people you know actually try to over enunciate or mouth their words and Mm -hmm. that takes away the harder for them to understand they because what they are used to is basic, like, normal conversation. Yeah. So. Um, that makes sense. But that's why it's so important for the provider to ask them, what can I do? Please tell me how I can help. Because some might need you to speak slower or speak faster. And a lot of deaf people will be blunt and tell you what they need. Mm-hmm. So, But don't always assume that speaking slow or over enunciating and actually might make it worse so and like it's not a bad thing to think of like you're just trying to help but Mm -hmm. yeah it's there's a lot of little things yeah yeah and in that same uh like zoom conversation lecture thing I attended um I asked about what role legislation would have in this issue because that's where we get all the accommodations through human med and sadly they said the veterinary community already is so small that we already have troubles with legislation in any regard, but then the deaf or hard of hearing veterinary community is literally like you can count on one or two hands. So they said that legislation they don't see realistically coming into play. So it really has to be a push like from inside the veterinary community and onto ourselves without that mandated requirement. Well, yeah, absolutely. It has to come from you guys. It's still a private, you know, operation. It's not something that's like federal that ADA laws can easily be applied to. So 
Absolutely. It is difficult um, providing any sort of legislation <laughs> for that. Um, and then I guess one of my last questions is how do we promote these accommodations or who needs them? Do you think, like, would you say when you're going to a new veterinary clinic, you look on their website? And so to put that on there, that if you need this or that accommodation, like, here's how to do it or like how to advertise those because it's not to put the pressure on to the hard of hearing or deaf person themselves. Right. It's always um, good to make a note of that um, wherever we can find information about your clinic that, you know, if you do need accommodations, just let us know or drop on by. Um, even just that is amazing because no one ever really mentions that. So right, like I said, we're not even reaching the bare minimum. Right. In medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and word of mouth is very strong. Like if you are somebody who is accommodating and whatnot, uh, they will come, you know, like it will get around. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for chatting. I'm sure we might have a part two or a, a continuation of the conversation at some point. But um, thank you. I've learned a lot, even over the 10 years. I, I know my, my alphabet, and I'm trying to learn some, some words to be helpful. But um, I think another issue is just that we learn, like, we have, like, veterinary Spanish at my school, but we have no veterinary sign classes. And mm-hmm. we also talk about, we have a whole communication course of, like, our rotations, and we always talk about empathy and, like, these empathetic statements but there's never how to relay that using like real nonverbal cues so yeah hopefully some change will come to the field and everyone has to make themselves accountable right yeah and it just starts with education and knowledge um awareness so I mean I'm not saying that like oh every vet should learn sign language I almost don't even want to say that because when people think that they're like oh no that sounds like a lot of work yeah but it does I I do know people who have learned that just the alphabet within like 10 or 15 minutes it's you know yeah but uh yeah just doing what you can and asking the client what they need is the important part well thanks to amelia again for joining us for our second episode i'm so glad we could have this conversation and bring these issues into the spotlight because they're not talked about at all in our community so that was the end of episode two and we'll see you next week for episode three